Amen. Well, I'll begin with just a quick review of, since you're just, some of you are just joining us. Uh, Psalm 1 and 2 are kind of the front doors of the Psalter. We should have a slide up there that explains that, that Psalm 1 and 2 kind of, as you walked into this building today, you walk through one set of doors and then you walk through another set of doors. And that's what Psalm 1 and 2 do is they aren't really, we pray them and, and they are Psalms, but if you read them, they're not necessarily David or a psalmist crying out to God. It's more instructive. And so Psalm 1 is, here's the two ways to live. You can either walk with those who don't walk with God, or you can walk by the power of the word and that you'll receive blessing in due season. And in Psalm 2 is the world in which we live, that we live in a world where, where it says the nations rage and people plot in vain against God and against his anointed. And so that's, there's two ways to live, with or without God in a world that doesn't like God. And Psalm 3 through 5, I've labeled, if it were a movie, it'd be like a weekend at Bernie's, but here it's a weekend at Dave's, that in Psalm 3, you see, I will both lie down and sleep and rise up for the Lord sustains me. So that's kind of Friday night at Dave's house and Saturday morning. And then Psalm 4, we saw last week that in peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. So that's like Saturday night. And then Psalm 5 in verse 3 says, in the morning, I prepare my sacrifice. And so we've been talking a lot, if you're just joining us, about sleep. Uh, Two weeks ago, it was go take a nap. Uh, Last week, it's before bedtime. Uh, prepare your prayer. And so today it's as if tomorrow morning, Monday, I'm giving you some instruction on prayer. And prayer is kind of like a, a well. If some of you grew up on a farm or a house that had one of those live wells, um, you know what I'm talking about. There's that fresh water that comes up from the well and you put your bucket down and you get it. Before that picture, I was there, I was going to show you a picture of myself and my daughter on a tractor at my uncle's house. And that's not my daughter. It's a different picture. That's my son. So that's me and my son. We're at my uncle's house in uh, Oklahoma. And we were driving around on this lawnmower. And then the next picture, in the front of his house, he's got a well that you can put the bucket down and draw up water. And our prayer life can be like a well. And I want to read you a story about that. Uh, This is from Ben Patterson's book, God's Prayer Book, where he just walks through some of the Psalms. But this is a great story on our prayer life. It says, Jack Sanford looks back fondly on childhood visits to the old family farmhouse in New Hampshire. In particular, he's never forgotten the old well that stood outside the front door. Incidentally, that's where it is at my uncle's house. It's just right outside the front door where they can get water. The water from the well was surprisingly pure and cold, and no matter how hot the water or how severe the drought, the well was always dependable, a source of refreshment and joy. The faithful old well was a big part of his memories of summer vacations at the family farmhouse. Time passed, and eventually the farmhouse was modernized. Wiring uh, brought electric lights. Indoor plumbing brought hot and cold running water. The old well was no longer needed, so it was sealed shut. Years later, while vacationing at the farmhouse, Sanford hankered for the cold, pure water of his youth, So he unsealed the well and lowered the bucket for a nostalgic taste of delightful refreshment he once knew. He was shocked to discover that that well once survived the worst droughts was bone dry. Perplexed, he began to ask questions of the locals who knew about these kind of things. And he learned that wells, at least in this part of the country, wells of that sort were fed by hundreds of tiny underground rivulets, which seeped steady flow of water. 
As long as the water is drawn out of the well, new water will flow in through the rivulets, keeping them open for more to flow. But when the water stops flowing through the rivulets, the rivulets clog with mud and close up. The well dried up, and here's the key, not because it was, not because it was used too much, but because it wasn't used enough. And here's what Ben Patterson's connection is, and I think it's a good one for us. Our souls are like that well. If we do not draw regularly and frequently on the living water that Jesus promised would well up like a spring of life, our hearts will close and dry up. The consequence of not drinking deeply of God is to eventually lose the ability to drink at all. And here's his point. Prayerlessness is its own worst punishment, both its disease and its cause. And when I read that, it convicted me because it it basically said, Judd, when you're prayerless, that's a double whammy because your soul's drying up and you're, you're cutting off the very source to living water. Amen? And so I wanted us to just take a look at a psalm that will help us to continue to pray so our life doesn't dry up. And I want you to turn and look at Psalm 5. It is a model prayer. If we were in the New Testament, uh, I would take you to Matthew 6 or Luke 11, where King Jesus teaches us how to pray. Here is a, a prayer. It's a model morning prayer for us. It talks about our preparation for prayer, our contemplation of God, our petitions to Him, and then our declaration and our celebration. And so you'll notice it begins with, to the choir master for the flutes, a psalm of David. So those of you who play instruments know that these psalms are for you, that there's wind instruments and there's stringed instruments. Last week it was for the stringed instruments. Today it's for the flutes. That David not only recorded his prayers as he was crying out to God, but the Lord used those in public worship. And if you see, there's an outline. And on your outline today, there's four sections. You can see it up on the Uh, screen if you don't have a a handout, but prepare your prayer, reflect on your God, ask your request, and yield in your confidence. That's what we're going to look at today um, as we walk through this psalm. And if you notice, I put an acronym there and I did it on purpose, that if you follow this, you will be truly praying. You will be uh, preparing. You'll be considering just who God is. You'll be asking God for right things in light of who he is, and you'll be yielding to him, trusting that he will answer in his perfect timing. And so we begin with, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider the, to, consider, attend, give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you, and watch. We're going to learn a couple things just from those three verses. Number one, you'll learn that his prayers are verbal. If you look there, it's my words, my groaning. The key phrase there in verse two, the sound of my cry, I pray you hear my voice. His prayers are verbal. And like I said just a couple of weeks ago, I think it's a good practice for us to get into. Not that you cannot pray uh, without words. Don't hear that. But do hear verbally praying allows us to focus. 
I know in my own heart, if I go to pray and I'm trying to do it in my mind, um, there are a lot of voices up there and it can get really confusing. Judge, you got to do this. Judge, you got to... No, wait. But when I open my mouth and it's, Lord, help me today and you move on, it helps me even articulate. Uh, It helps me like like we did when seeing that picture when I said, that's a picture of my daughter. Well, that's not my daughter. That's my son. That's the same thing. Lord, I thank you for Luke, my my daughter. No, he's my son. And so verbal prayers help us articulate and focus our thoughts. Number two, notice that his groaning is consistent. Give ear, consider, give attention. Oh Lord, hear me. It's consistent. And thirdly, you see his words are reverent. The sound of my cry, my God and my King. That he comes to God humbly because God is his king. And for the same reason, he comes boldly. And finally, what I want you to pick up are two things in verse 3. His prayer is planned. It's planned. O Lord, in the morning, you hear my voice. Repeat it as if not to miss it. In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you. That word prepare is the same as the priest would be bringing the sacrifices for God that they had to put thought into what animals to bring and how to bring them and to slaughter them and to put them in for the sacrifice. And so what David says here is as they would, priests would do that, so God, because I will come to you preparing my prayer. And in his planning, it's not too difficult. He has a time in the morning, in the morning. Now, some of you are night owls, so Psalm 119.67 helps you out. That if midnight is, it says, in the, at midnight I rise to pray to you. So if you're a night owl, go for it. Midday, if, you're, if you are a person who likes to pray, like early in the morning you're really, really sleepy, and late at night you're really, really sleepy, like me, then maybe midday is that time of day when you just go and you're wide awake, uh, it's in between uh, the morning session of whatever you're doing in the afternoon and you've eaten and you're ready, you're wide awake, and that's when you... So we're not saying that you can't pray all day long. In fact, we'd say pray without ceasing. But David had a time in the morning, in the morning, and David had a system. I prepare my sacrifice. David was going with a, with a way to pray. And whatever works for you, be it a list, be it note cards, um, Whatever works for you. In fact, there are things out there in our digitized world. Prayer mate. You can go with prayer mate. And it's got a little passcode. You put in your passcode and there you have it. And prayer mate, you can have prayers on there for everybody in your family. You can even categorize them. And you can even make it have an alarm. So it lets you know, and you think you're getting a text. You're like, who's texting me at 6 in the morning? And you say, it's not Matt. It is prayer mate saying it's time to pray, right? Have a system. Doesn't matter what your system is, but God desires us to pray. And finally, look at this. Look at the end of verse 3. For I prepare a sacrifice for you, and I watch. His prayers are not only verbal, they're not only consistent and reverent and planned, but he is expecting. He is not just coming to prayer and just say, going through his morning devotions and shutting the book. He is coming saying, I'm going to pray and I'm going to watch God work. I'm going to watch you work. Lord, I'm going to pray and I'm going to watch you work. 
Lord, I'm going to pray for Bailey Hope Beal, and I'm going to watch you give us a week, Lord, and then to pause and say, you didn't have to do that. You didn't have to give us more than minutes. You didn't have to give us any minutes with her. You don't have to give us months with her. But we prayed and we watched her birthday on July 7th, and we saw her one-week birthday via a picture But we're going to watch, and we're going to watch how he continues to work. And I could tell you story after story just in a week of how the Lord's using that little girl whose middle name is Hope to bring the hope of the gospel to not only uh, her family, but everybody involved in that situation. So we pray expectantly. We don't just bow our heads and say our prayers. Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. We don't just get up and say, Lord, this is your day. I must pray. We say those things and then our eyes are attuned. Because more often than not, it's, Lord, I need, I need patience. And then there'll be a traffic jam in Eagle. There's never a traffic jam in Eagle. I come from Dallas. There are traffic jams. And it's daily. It's a, Dallas is a traffic jam. Those listening in Texas or oh, I can't believe he just said that. Right? But in Eagle, there's no trip. But you just prayed for patience, Judd, so enjoy it. You're going down to Glenwood, and there's a backup. Okay. I'm in an unplanned place at an unplanned pace, but I will trust God. I will be expectant in my prayers. And not only do we prepare our prayer, but we reflect upon our God. And this is, these are the tricky texts here. We must reflect on who the Bible presents our God is. Look at these verses, verses 4 through 7. We'll deal with the first three, and then we will look at 7 and see how they're captured here. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. So let's go to Psalm 6. Just kidding. You You can't do that. See, there are two reactions to these verses. There are two reactions to these verses. Surely that's not what the Bible says. But it is. Surely it can't mean what it just, what he just read to me and what I'm seeing in my Bible. It does. The mistakes are made when we, we run too quickly to uh, get God off the hook. God is the one who put these words about himself in here. In liberal theology, I'll just read to you what Dr. Albert Moeller said. Liberal theology begins by stressing the love of God while denying his holiness and justice. Before long, all that is left is a weak, though good-natured deity bumbling about and generally hoping that his human creatures would just get along. And that theology has crept into American culture. And he says, the God of popular culture is an indulgent heavenly spirit who is a little threat to our lifestyles and luxuries, a God consistent with the consumer culture and rampant immorality. This God might wish that human beings would behave, but he's powerless when they do not. This is what it says about, this is what God says about himself. And so I'm not going to run too quickly to write it off because here are the things he wants us to see about himself. 
Number one, he wants us to see that he is holy. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. To be holy is to be set apart. It's to be utterly clean. It's to be without sin. And that is the God whom we love and worship, who created the world, who sent his son to die for our sins. More on that in just a minute. But he is holy. Evil may not dwell with you. There are several times in the Bible, Job 1 and in 1 Kings, uh, where you see uh, evil spirits coming and God seems to be sovereign over them. He, he, he comes and, and he says to Satan, where have you been from prowling around on the earth, seeking someone to devour, from walking about on the earth? See, Satan cannot dwell in God's presence. He's been casted out of heaven because he, in his pride, Praise the Lord. Amen. Satan, in his pride, thought he was equal with God and God casted him out. He cannot dwell with evil. The boastful cannot stand before your eyes that this is a God who is holy. And he's a God who is just. I think that's how we have to read these following phrases that God hates evildoers, he takes care of the wicked, that he's just, he will punish them in his own good time. And notice I put verse 7 with it. But, you've got to have both sides. We can't just present to people the good news without presenting them the bad news. Otherwise, the good news isn't really that good and I asked some men to be praying for me this week and I've wrestled with just these verses because you read that, it makes you step back. But if we don't truly understand the bad news, we will never really see the good news. If we don't really understand evil and wickedness, we won't truly understand the love of God for us. And so before we talk about the evil of all those out there, I just want you to know for me and for you that we were once enemies of God. We were wicked, evil doers. All of us. All of us who know the Lord Jesus were wicked. Let me just read you Romans and let Paul tell you what we were. For while we were still helpless... At the right Christ, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely a, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his shows his love. This is Romans five six through eleven. God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God, that is the righteous anger poured out from God on sin and sinners. For while we were, and here's the one that that grips my heart, for while we were enemies, enemies, summarizing that, helpless, ungodly, Sinful enemies. But through the abundance of your steadfast love, I will enter in your house. I will bow down to your holy hem- to bow down towards your holy temple. I will fear you. Do you see? 
the way I can handle these, and I, I would encourage you, the way you can handle these verses is, those were verses against me. That I was an evildoer. I was one who spoke lies. Now, I may have not been bloodthirsty and murdered someone, but I got angry at someone. And Jesus seems to equate murder and anger in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6. Check it out. Actually, Matthew 5. It would be technically right. Matthew 5. And deceitful. I've lied. My parents didn't have to teach me how to lie. Like my mother didn't say, hey, today we're going to learn how to lie. She said to me, we don't lie because naturally you do lie. And we're teaching that to our kids. There's this hesitation. And by God's grace, they're learning real quick. When, when things go wrong, we want to just twist that truth just a tad bit. And the Lord abhors deceitful people. And that was me. I was a helpless. I couldn't do anything about it. I was ungodly, had no idea about holiness. I was sinful that my life is characterized by sin and following self. And I was an enemy. I was opposed to everything God was for. But notice the balance now through the abundance of your steadfast love. That number one, God is holy. Number two, he is just. But this holy, just God is merciful. He's merciful through the abundance of your steadfast love. And that's where if you go back and you reflect on those Romans verses, and God shows his love for us that while we were yet sinners, you mean I was an enemy and God loved me? Yes. So how can God, you mean at one time God was opposed to me and yet at the same time he loved me? Yes, that seems paradoxical. I know, but that's what the Bible says, and so we're just going to leave it right there. It's a good tension. Sarah, right? If you're stringing your guitar, you, you start it down here, and you pull that string up. Down here is the holiness and the justice of God, and you pull that string up, and up here you tighten it. And Sarah will tell you. You can go ask her after. You don't ever start up here. You start down here with God's holiness and justice and sovereignty and you pull it up and you tie it onto his mercy and our responsibility. And that's what that tension is what allows her to make good music. No tension, no guitar music. It sounds too tight and it's ding, 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 too loose. And I don't even know how to make the sound of a too loose string. But it's the proper tension. And that's what David gives us. In 4 through 6, he gives us the holiness and the justice of God. And in seven, coupled right with it, he gives us the love of God. For some, they, they say that's just too much. I can't, I can't do that. My, the God I believe in is too loving. Let me read you uh, John Stott. That we can't aspire to this is an indication not of our spirituality, but a lack of it. Not of our superior love for men, but of our inferior love of God. Indeed, our inability to understand God in this way tells us more about ourselves than it does about God. God is just, and God is merciful, and he holds his justice and his mercy in complete holiness. It is the difficult doctrine of the love of God that his wrath, which could have consumed me at age 18, 19, consumed me, this is, this is what makes one humble. 
This is what brings one's tears to one's eyes, is that God in his wrath and in his rightness could have in his perfect holiness taken me out and consumed me. And he would have all rights to, because in, in some senses, and to my shame, in a real sense, I gave him the bird. To my shame. But through the abundance of your steadfast love, I can come to church. I can bow down. I can sing these songs. I can rightly fear you, that I can approach you as my father, and I can bow as my king. Beloved, we cannot make God in our image. That's called idolatry. We must love the God of the Bible. We must trust what it says even when we do not fully comprehend it. Otherwise, we are shaping and reshaping God to fit our image. And so we prepare our prayer and then we reflect upon who our God is. He is holy, He is just, and He is merciful. And you're thinking, well, I need a, I need a verse that kind of captures all that. Well, Romans is the place to go. Because Romans 11, and maybe even actually Romans 2, says this, Romans 2, 4, and Romans 11, I think 22, say it the same way. 2, 4, do you not presume on the riches and the kindness and the forbearance not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. In Romans eleven twenty two, note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity of those who have fallen, but kindness to you, kindness to you. He's a kind God, and he's a holy God. But through your steadfast love, I enter your house. So not only is he holy, not only is he just, not only is he merciful, but this holy, just, merciful God is worthy of our worship. He's worthy for us to come and bow down and to sing to him, holy, holy, holy. To sing to him, hosannas. To sing to him before the throne of God above. And I hope we sing that after communion. That one verse that talks, to look on him and pardon me. That God in His holiness and His justice looked upon His Son Jesus, poured out His wrath on Jesus. Jesus died for my sin and He rose again and now He can look upon me. To look on Him and pardon me. Knowing that I've made a time and I've got a plan and I know who my God is, I'm going to come boldly to Him in 8 through 10. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness, not mine. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me, for there's no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them to bear their guilt, O God, and let, let them fall by their own counsels because of the abundance of their transgression. Cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. David comes boldly and he, he prays for direction. In a world full of deceit and destruction, he says, show me the right way to live. Show me the right way to live. I don't trust in myself. I don't lean on my own understanding, but in all my ways, I'm going to, I'm going to make my ways, I'm going to present my ways to you and you'll, you'll make my path straight. This is how I need to raise my kid. This is how I need to love my wife. This is how I need to lead my business. And he doesn't 
leave it mysterious. It's all in here. Through principles, through people, through rules, but mostly through a relationship with him. He shows you the story of the gospel in the Bible. Lead me, Lord, where I should go. Why? Because there are people out there who don't love you. And notice how he, he describes them. No truth in their mouth. So they, they don't believe in truth. They, they, and they try to mask it with new th- ways of saying it. Well, it's, it's, it's evolution. Um, that's not a person. So we're really not, quote, killing anybody. Uh, and, and, I mean, who are we to, to talk about people's feelings for one another? Can't, can't we just all get along and can't certain people just be married? Sure, they can be joined together, but let's just not call it marriage because that's a lie. Do you not? Oh, I love them. So let's just not confuse what the issue is. That's the big thing right now in the news. And there are denominations believing the lies. The truth is not in their mouth. And so we don't, we, we say, no, that is not true. And we just point to the word and then we point to the physical body and just say, see how it works. It doesn't work other ways. Their throat is an open grave. They speak death. They flatter with their tongue. It sounds so good. Have you ever been flattered? And then you just walk away and you're like, I just got flattered. It wasn't like a sincere comment. That was just kind of like flattery. It's, it's, it sounds good and then it doesn't taste good. And this is what the psalmists have been showing us throughout. In one one, blessed is the man who does not take counsel in the wicked. The wicked show themselves by what they counsel. It's in two one and two. Why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth themselves and rulers take counsel together against the Lord. Here's what they say. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. You don't hear it like that in 2012. You don't hear it like that. You hear it like, oh, those Christians, they say you can't do this and you can't do that. And uh, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't grow with girls who do. And they're just a, it's a repressive uh, religion. It just brings me down. I can't do this and I can't do that. You don't hear it like, let us burst their bond. They're not as King James, right? Let us burst their barns apart and cast away their cords from us. Oh, but little do they know that when we're tied to Jesus, that when we're servants of Jesus, we are truly free. And so their words describe them in 3-2. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for them in God. I have a friend here in the valley. He's an atheist. No, there's no salvation for you in God. You're going to die and you're going to become worm food. Okay? And 4, verse 2. Oh, men, how long shall you turn my honor into shame? How how long will you love vain words? And in verse 6, there are many who say, who will show us some good? And so David says, in the midst of this world that's, that's bombarding me through media and through the internet and through uh, just advertisements, even in the paper, this is how you should look, feel, and act. Oh, Lord, protect me from that. Show me. Show me your way. So he prays for direction, but he also prays for justice for those who are in transgression. Make them bear their guilt. And I'll tell you what Jesus, how Jesus told us to pray for those who are enemies of God. He's, he was real clear about it. Love the red letter text. 
Uh, You have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. You mean the people who persecute me, I'm actually to be on my knees in prayer for them? Oh, yeah. And love them? Oh, yeah. You mean like care for them, call on them and see and just show them compassion? Uh Uh-huh. Why? Remember that? Oh, that's right, because I was the helpless, ungodly, sinful enemy. I was one of them. And here's what Spurgeon says. Uh, to be hated by God is an awful thing, and let us be very faithful in warning the wicked around us, for it is a terrible thing for them to ha- fall into the hands of a of a holy God. That's Hebrews, and that and that's what we say um, to my friend in the valley who doesn't know. It's it's I don't I don't want you to be if if this is the cross and and these are where believers land. I I don't want you to land over here because I love you and care for you, and therefore I must speak to you about this holy God. And so we love what God loves, we hate what God hates, and we give our lives for our enemies as Christ did the same for you and I, knowing that God will right all the wrongs. And how does he end his prayer? He rests, he yields in his confidence. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that they, those who love your name may exult in you, that we are protected by God so that we can declare God. I love that. Psalm 67 says we are blessed by God so that we can declare God. So it's not just this gimme, 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 shield me from the evil of the world and give me all the toys I need so I can just be happy underneath my little canopy here. It's no, God, protect me from those fiery darts of Satan because every day he fires them at me. You don't need to read your word. You don't need to pray. You don't need to treat your wife with respect. You don't really need to sit with those kids and read them the Bible. You don't need to be honest at work. You can get away by, by being angry, by being anxious, by become addicted to those, that alcohol. You can do that. That's what's, Look at the world around you. I mean, look at this guy succeeding. He's doing that. That's what Satan does every day. And he, if it's not him himself, because he's not omniscient, right? And he's not omnipresent. He'll send his demons to do that. And you put up that shield of faith and you say, no, protect me, Lord. And I will sing for joy. I will sing for joy. I will exult in your name. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover them with favor as with a shield. Blessings are to come in, as Psalm 1 says, in its season. But, but it's been a long time and, and I don't think the blessings are coming. So you stay faithful in its season. But, but God's not blessing me the way I think I should be blessed. Well, maybe your definition of blessing is off. You stay faithful. What if I die and I never receive blessing? What if I die and I never receive blessing? Here's what I would say to that person. Struggling. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You may not ever experience it here on earth. Babies die. Parents die. Uh, people get sick, cancer comes, jobs fall out. You mean I'm to remain faithful and all that and be joyful? Yes. Why? Because you're not living for this world. Your mind is not of this world. You have chosen not to walk in the counsel of the wicked, not to stand in the path of the sinners, not to sit in the seat of scoffers, but in his word I will delight. Day and night, 
And then I will yield fruit in its season. And even if it doesn't, this is, memorize these. If you're in a season in your life right now where the Lord doesn't seem to be blessing and you're wondering, where is the goodness of God? We read these just, I think it was just last week. Memorize Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. Meditate on them. Turn them over in your head. Think about it. Think about every word. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. I will put that in the Rumley version. Though life is a mess, and I see nothing yet, I will rejoice in the Lord, not my circumstances. I will take joy in my God, not necessarily in every relationship around me, the God of my salvation. How do you make it through? God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes me like the deers. He makes me tread on high places. And as if Habakkuk wanted us to sing this to the choir master with stringed instruments. And so over the past several weeks, I've encouraged us by the authority of God's word to take a nap and to go to sleep. Now, by his grace and for his glory, I will say, rise early (laughs) tomorrow. And if you're not an early riser, sometime tomorrow, morning, noon, or night, order your prayer verbally, expectantly, reverently, Plan, reflect, ask, yield. Watch God's providence. Request his guidance. Trust him to deliver you. Father, we will be joyful in all of this. You are our shield. You are our protector. You are our joy. You are our pleasure. I pray for myself, first and foremost, and anybody else in here. Weenus from the false joys of this world. Take away those things in our life that we have set up as idols in our hearts so that we may have true joy in you and you alone. And Lord, we recognize we can do this because our sin has been paid for at the cross. You looked on him and you've pardoned us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.